Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred minutes. Five hundred twenty-five thousand moments. So dear, you didn't know I could sing. Maybe you still think I can't. I don't know. But you know, <laughs> you know that's how you measure a year. It's also the lyrics to a song called "Seasons of Love" from a musical called Rent. Now, I'm not a super big fan of musicals, but I do appreciate the craft. Particularly, I I appreciate how catchy the lyrics of good musicals can be. And so so what Seasons of Love, the song, has instilled in me is a firm knowledge of how many minutes there are in one year. (laughs) A catchy melody, but also with the knowledge of how many minutes there are in a year, the reality of the finite economy of time. 525,600 minutes. That's how long one year is. And that seems like a big number. Like, I certainly wish that that number was represented in my bank account. (laughs) If any of you are super rich and would like to make that happen, I'm open. But the reality is, that's, it seems like a big number until I start to really think about it. Especially when I think about, you know, like, how many of those 525,600 minutes that I spend asleep? Roughly a third of them, right? If I get what I want, which, I mean, I have a one-year-old, so that's, like, up for debate uh, on a daily basis. But if I got what I wanted every day, then uh, that would leave me with 352,152 minutes where I'm conscious. That's a considerable decrease, right? Then you subtract the number of minutes that Apple reports to me that I average staring at screens every single day, and we're down to 242,952 minutes. Subtract the number of minutes that I average spending trying to convince my little caveman that he should eat, and we're well under 200,000 minutes. And 200,000 is a lot less than 525,600. And I'm sure that I could continue this charade until I've accounted for every single minute of my year, but you don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. We've got places to go, so we'll move on. But what I'm really trying to to get at here and to get you to understand is uh, the fact that I've got a secret that I need to tell you. Do you want to hear it? This is a secret. You can't tell anybody else that I told you this. You especially can't tell my boss that I told you this because it's a pastor secret, okay? 
Here's the secret. Pastors pretty much always preach the sermon that they need to hear on Sunday, okay? And this one is, no, Sean knows, he has a dad <laughs> who's a pastor. <laughs> this is a sermon about time, particularly being good stewards of the time that God has given to you. It's a sermon that all people need to hear, but a sermon especially that I need to hear. Because time although seemingly infinite, is actually quite finite for humans on this side of eternity, right? We've only got so many years in us, and each year has, well, you know, 525,600 minutes, right? <laughs> Time is a limited resource. Time can't be manufactured. Time can't be bought. Time can honestly seem like it's our enemy. But here's the thing. Time is actually a gift. Time is the confines within which we experience relationships. You know, when, I, when I'm watching my little guy shovel macaroni and cheese into his mouth, or watching him splash around in the bathtub when I'm trying to clean macaroni and cheese off of him, when I'm changing his stinky diapers, which are usually the result of macaroni and cheese, or watching him stomp around the house with his favorite wooden spatula raised above his head like Mel Gibson in Braveheart, these are all gifts of time well spent. So time, I, I argue that time is not the enemy. Time is, is the gift. You may have heard it said or said yourself that time is a thief, but time's not the thief. Time wasted is the real thief. So last week I introduced us to a new sermon series called Serve and Guard in which we're, we're really seeking to understand stewardship as the natural outpouring of the human vocation. God put humans on this earth to serve it and to guard it on his behalf. This divine mandate, if you will, extends into every single area of our lives and particularly into our communal life as the church. And so First Church of Fort Pierce is a gift that's given to us and to our community from God. And God has called us, the members and the people who, who worship in this church, God has called us to serve this church and to guard it through the act of stewardship. And here's the why, because, because every, every good thing that we're mo motivated to do needs a good why statement, right? This is the, the why statement that needs to be ingrained in our brains from now until eternity. So we are called to serve and God guard our church and our community so that God's will can be done in Fort Pierce as it is in heaven. And in order to do this, we need to commit ourselves to the work of of stewardship. Stewardship is simply using the gifts that God has given to us in a way that glorifies God and points people to him. And one of the greatest gifts that God has given to us is our time.
And so the question then becomes, how do we as, as individuals make use of our time in a way that glorifies God and points people to him? Well, I think that it begins with understanding the way that God himself used time. You know, God used time in the beginning to order the world. Actually, God, you know, I don't know if you know this, God created time. And so I'm going to just read from you the first few verses of your Bible and see kind of how this all plays out. It says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. See, the, the separation of light and dark created the confines of time as we experience it as humans, night and day. Then God used the following five days to create the world and everything in it until creating humans on the sixth day. And then, on the seventh day, God rested. And he made that day holy. He set it apart from the rest of the days, and, and he blessed it. And this was the creation, or the driving force, behind the idea of Sabbath. Sabbath is a time of sacred rest. You know, God rested from his creative work, but God didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't rest because, like, man, I really just need a day off. God rested for the purpose of spending time with his creation, particularly with human beings. God is said to have sat with the first humans. He instructed them on what was good, right? Like, till the ground, eat the fruit from all of the trees because it's good for eating. And he told them what was wrong, except for the tree from that one, the fruit from that one tree that's in the middle of the garden of knowing good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. God collaborated with the humans. He allowed them to name all of the animals that he created. He, he walked with them in the evenings. God's intention for resting was to create community with human beings. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, you know, we have adapted this idea and brought it into our church culture. Somewhere along the way, we began to believe or even teach that Sunday is a day of Sabbath, just because that's the day that we go to church. And here's the thing. This is like kind of true because we do hopefully come and commune with God and we do come and, and meet with one another. And when we are in this space, we are practicing Sabbath. But Sunday is not the seventh day. Sunday is the first day. The seventh day is Friday night into Saturday night. That's the Jewish tradition. And the Jewish tradition of the Sabbath, or seventh day, is a time set apart from work in order to, to rest and focus 
on both the vertical relationship between humans and God and the horizontal relationships between humans and one another. It was a time of just setting aside all human striving in order to practice loving God and loving our neighbors. And this is not something that we typically practice in our Christian tradition, at least not in this way. And that's not because it, it doesn't apply to us. We don't practice one rigid day of Sabbath because we, as Christians, believe that we are called to embody the spirit of Sabbath in our daily lives. We are called to create space in which we can nurture both our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with our community on a daily basis. And we do this through the practice of spiritual disciplines. Now, of course, like you should be taking a full day off from vocational work. I know if you're retired, you're like, done, easy. <laughs> but remember, I'm also preaching sermons that I need to hear, right? So here's my commitment to you. I take time off. So if you come here on Friday looking for me, you ain't going to find me. I'm at home or doing something else. That's my commitment to you. See? That's how this works. But here's the really important thing. You know, everything that we do in our lives as Christians needs to spring out of a Sabbath mentality. Remember, Sabbath is a time of communion with God and with others. And so what a Sabbath mentality means is that everything that we do on a daily basis needs to be for the purpose of deepening our relationship with God and with our neighbors. And we deepen our relationship with God and with our neighbors through the practice of spiritual disciplines. These disciplines require our time. Particularly, they require a commitment of our time which is dedicated to God and to the building up of the community of believers through service to the church and to the world. So the Apostle Paul was an avid proponent of practicing spiritual disciplines. And so he, he wrote a letter to uh, the Colossian people, the church at Colossae, and uh, this is what he says to them regarding spiritual disciplines. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well that God will open to us a door for the world, that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely towards others, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. See, Paul's focus is on personal prayer for the purpose of blessing the world outwardly. And this is the mentality that we need to have when it comes to spiritual disciplines. They are things that, that you do, not solely for the purpose of making yourself feel better on a daily basis, but for the purpose of allowing the world around you to experience the mystery of Christ through the way that you live your life. 
which in turn will, in fact, make you feel better because you will be fulfilling your purpose to serve and guard God's world in God's way. And so what I want to do today is talk about some of these disciplines, particularly the ones that you're invited to commit yourself to on this year's pledge card. You know, prayer is the most obvious source of communication with God. If you don't already pray daily, I can't stress to you enough the importance of it. Prayer is powerful. It is seriously the lifeblood of our connection to God. You need to start praying or keep praying or keep growing in your prayer life. This is how you cultivate, how you nurture, and how you harness the power of your relationship with God. And so what I challenge you to do is to commit yourself to a year of prayer for your church. And inherent in praying for your church is, just like Paul said, praying for me. Paul says, pray for us, meaning pray for me and those who are traveling with me in the mission to spread the gospel. And we all have hopes and dreams that this church will experience a new season of revival, a new season of purpose. And, and we can talk about it all day and all week long until we're blue in the face. But what we also need to remember to do is to take those conversations to God. See, every day we need to be praying that God will use this church for his glory, that God's will for us would be done, and that we will become the, the most authentic representation of the kingdom of God to our world that we can possibly be. And so I encourage you to remember this church, remember me, remember the staff and the, the leadership of this church in your prayers, and pray for us every single day. But as you probably experienced, um, when you pray, you're kind of the one doing all the talking, right? That's usually not how conversations work. So we need to also devote ourselves to, to hearing from God, to, to listening. And that's where this thing, your Bible, really comes into play. You know, I'm challenging you to start a daily Bible reading plan for 2023. As a community, I'm going to put out a, a Bible reading plan that begins on January 1st. And if you're like me, usually uh, things fall apart when you make a decision to do something new on January 1st because you forget to do it on January 1st, right? But don't worry. That's not going to happen this year. You know how I know? I can promise you this. There's church on January 1st. I'll remind you. <laughs> we'll read the first one together, and then you'll already be started down this path. And if you're like me, once you start something, you're not going to quit, right? Right. <laughs> but I really want to challenge you to, to read the Bible with me over the course of 2023 so that we can practice listening to God's word all of God's word and maybe practice asking some really hard questions because um, this thing's weird. 
and in asking questions, I want us to better understand God's will, not only for us as individuals, but for us as a church. See, prayer and scripture intake are how we foster the relationship between God and ourselves. They're the two main means, not the only means, of connecting with and communing with God so that we can be in the best spiritual condition to foster the relationships that God wants us to have with the world around us. And we foster the relationships that God wants us to have with the world around us through the practice of communal spiritual disciplines. And there's like one really big secret to practicing communal spiritual disciplines. And so this is a great day for you because you get to learn two secrets today. The secret to practicing communal spiritual disciplines is this. You can't do it alone, right? It's literally in the name. <laughs> and so here's the deal. If you look at your pledge card, you might look at some of these things listed under, under time and be like, man, that doesn't sound very spiritual at all. Like attending quarterly administrative council meetings. Hmm. Don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> These are the way <laughs> that, we, that we really attend to the business of the church. And, and what I want you to know is that administrative council meetings are about to be open for all people to come and attend beginning this November. And, and I'm inviting you to come and, and take part in them because when you do, you are taking responsibility for your church. You're showing up and you're investing your time in the mundane, and that's important. It's a means of growing in grace and learning how to butt heads with one another in love. It builds community. But looking to the future also means that we have got new work ahead of us. It's time to have community meals together again. It's time for Wednesday night to be a time of communal spiritual growth right here in downtown Fort Pierce. And so someone's going to have to coordinate the food. Again, not super spiritual sounding on the surface, but I'll tell you this. I've had just as many spiritual experiences sitting behind a bowl of pasta as I have with any other spiritual thing and religious thing that I've been a part of. So consider planning and coordinating or cooking meals as a means of you bringing your pastor closer to God, which is something that you want, right? You want me to be close to God so I can introduce you. <laughs> now, the central idea here is hospitality. We need to create a space that invites and disarms people, a space that shows people the love of Jesus. Paul says, conduct yourself wisely and let your speech be gracious when you're dealing with outsiders. What he's driving at is, is that hospitality is the way to a person's heart. So are big bowls of pasta, right? We must open ourselves in order to allow others to be open to the gospel message that we have to give to them. 
And that message comes in a lot of different ways, but one of the most effective ways is through Bible studies and small groups. These are not the same thing. And next year, we're going to have both. We'll have Bible studies, which are going to be classes that meet on Wednesday night after we eat together here on campus. And then we're going to have small groups, which are going to be groups of you that meet in homes, in coffee shops, in parks, in bars, at the harbor. I don't really care where. But you should be in both. Bible studies help you grow your brain. Small groups help you grow your heart. And God cares about both. I care about both. And you should care about both, too. But these are not simply just for you and your own personal edification. These are opportunities for others to come and see what Jesus is up to. Now, I have a colleague who's also my coach, who incidentally used to be my pastor, uh, Pastor Matthew Hartsfield over in Tampa. And, and I was talking to Matthew this week, and we were, we were talking about small groups and the goals that I have for this church in, in the next year. And, and Matthew's role in my life is really to help me set goals and then push me to go farther than I ever thought was possible with them. You see, I like to set realistic goals, comfortable goals, because um, I, like, I like to win. <laughs> and I like it to be easy to win, right? I'm human, so sorry. <laughs> but I know this about him because of our experience working together. And so I just try to play the game and just go like as big as I think I can in order to impress him in, in hopes that he doesn't have like a comeback for me and that says like, why don't you go a little farther? And so he said to me, he said to me, Tim, what is a, what's your goal for small group participation at First Church of Fort Pierce. And I was like, going to nail this. Uh, <laughs> I got this. And so I said very proudly, like, you know, very proudly, Matthew, my goal is to have 100% of the people who attend First Church of Fort Pierce on Sunday morning participating in a small group. And I felt good. And then there was this pause, like, on the other end of the phone. And he said, well, okay. I mean, 100 is good. And I was like, oh. I knew in that moment, like, man, it wasn't good enough. And then he said to me, hey, hey Tim, what would it look like if 125 or, or 150% of the people who come to your church on Sunday morning were in a small group? And at first I was like, how? I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but I know, like, the denominator needs to be bigger or smaller, bigger than the numerator or something, you know? Like, the math didn't seem to quite compute, and then it hit me. What if? What if 125 or 150% of the people who worship here on Sunday were in a small group? Well, that would mean that small groups had people in them that didn't go to church yet. It would mean that the group was acting as a means of evangelism, as a means of hospitality, as a means of declaring the mystery of Christ to outsiders. It would mean that the small group is the means of making outsiders into insiders. It would mean that the group 
was doing the work of the church by making the most of the time that it was given. And so I feel like this week, of all the weeks of our stewardship campaign, might actually be the biggest ask. Because I know, I know that time is precious. I totally understand that. But I guarantee you that if you invest your time in your relationship with God, in your relationship with others, that it will pay dividends in your life that you never knew were possible. So give your time to God. Devote yourself to growing personally and communally, and you will be well on your way to embracing a life of serving and guarding the good gifts that God has given to you. 525,600 minutes. That's how you measure the time in a year. But you can also measure the time in a year based on the number of encounters that you've had with the risen Christ. By the number of persons whose lives have been categorically and fundamentally altered by the time that you invested in them. You can measure it by the number of new ways that God has spoken into your life through Scripture and by the number of messy human experiences that you sat with, walked through, and loved each other well during. This new season is an invitation to something big. It's a season of recognizing that time spent walking in the garden with God is time well spent indeed. And so let's walk together, serving our world and guarding the good gift of time that God has given to us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this time that you have given to us to gather in your name, the time that you have given to us to live this human experience be in community with one another, to navigate the, the muddy waters that are our world, and to do so with the very sense of your presence and love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and through the community that you have called us to become. So God, we just ask that you would show us how to use our time to make our community wider, to push our boundaries. We'd use our time to grow deeper in love with you and to grow, grow wider and deeper in love with the community around us. God, we love you. We just pray that you would show us how to live like your son Jesus, who came and used his time for you and for others. So God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.